a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This study is entitled, God's People. Who were they? What were they commanded? How does this apply to the church today? We welcome you each Lord's Day or to subscribe so that you may have these questions answered from the book of Deuteronomy. So as we're turning to Deuteronomy 16, we may just be reminded of all that we've been teaching, learning. We've, we've talked about a, a number of things, but just remember uh, what we are studying is the civil or the judicial law. Uh, this is the way God would govern all of Israel. It's, it's not the moral standard in God's moral law that we're given in the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're not expecting that we're going to make pilgrimage uh, to, the, to the Holy Land, uh, the physical land in Israel each year. Uh, we're not necessarily going to keep Passover as we discuss this morning. And yet, it is incredibly useful Whenever we study this, as the church, it's unfit for us to abandon these scriptures, to somehow pass over it and, and forget uh, what God has taught the people of Israel. And so we're, we're gleaning from this and we're learning how God has applied this. And, and really, we should see Christ even more fully represented in this way as he was directing uh, Israel to the manifestation of the church, which we've studied in our catechism time. And so we're going to read just the first eight verses of Deuteronomy 16 so that we grasp a bit of the Passover as reiterated before Israel entering the promised land. And so if you've had a chance to turn there in your copy of God's word, I welcome you to stand as we honor the reading of it. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose in the place to the place his name there. Thou shalt eat, unto, eat no leavened bread See here, I apologize. She no leavened bread with it. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, and thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee in all thy coast seven days. Neither shall there anything of the flesh with thou sacrificeth 
and first the first day at even, remain all night until the morning. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates within the Lord thy God giveth thee, wherein which the Lord thy God giveth thee. But at the place which the Lord the God shall choose to place his name in there, thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the, su at the season that thou camest forth of Egypt. And thou shalt roast and eat it in the place where the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt turn in the morning and go unto thy tents. Six days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do work therein. Father, we come to you. We ask that you call to memory all that you've done throughout all of history before your people. Surely you've shown a great hand throughout all of time, and yet you've drawn us to a fulfillment of all that you've appointed in that day. And God, we pray that as we study these things, that we call to remembrance all that you've done in Jesus Christ. And the way that he himself observed that holy feast, and the way that he had fulfilled it, and the way in which we partake it all our days in remembrance of what you've done through him. Lord, bear with us, enlighten our hearts, and draw us to Christ. In his precious name we pray, amen. We're speaking about Passover, but we're not speaking as a people ill-informed. I actually want to read to you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And he was preaching a text that came from Paul when he writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now for us, Christ is this culmination in preaching this text, Charles Spurgeon wrote in his introduction, the more you read the Bible and the more you meditate upon it, the more you will be astonished with it. He who is but a casual reader of the Bible does not know the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the mighty meanings contained in its passages. There are certain times when I discover a new vein of thought and I put my hand to my head and say in astonishment, oh, it is wonderful. I never saw this before in the Scriptures. You'll find the Scriptures enlarge as you enter them. The more you study them, the less you will appear to know of them. For they widen out as we approach them. Especially will you find this the case with the typical parts of God's Word. 
Most of the historical books were intended to be types, either of dispensations or experiences or offices of Jesus Christ. Study the Bible with this as a key. And you will not blame Herbert when he calls it not only the book of God, but the God of books. One of the most interesting points of the Scripture is their constant tendency to display Christ. And perhaps one of the most beautiful figures under which Jesus Christ is ever exhibited in sacred writ is the Passover Paschal Lamb. It is Christ about whom we speak. That's true. Even this morning, whenever we discuss the Passover... In this old age, whenever the people of Israel were prepared to enter into the promised land, surely God was leading them already to receive this Son whom He would send. When we think of the Passover, sometimes it's hard for us in our day to place ourselves in this situation. For us to remember the cause of Christ among the people of God. If you would just for a minute, draw yourself back again to the experience of Israel. Remember what it was like to be heavy laden with burden under Egypt. To be despised of the people. To have your sons and daughters beaten with the whip. And to sit in their house at night. And as the mother or father tell them, not again. Not again. God is bringing His redemption. God means to deliver us. To where you'll eat and throughout the night you'll lay awake and, and the, the, the patriarch of the household is eating with his sandals on his feet and his staff in his hand and he's saying, no, lay awake. And as the angel of death passes through the land of Egypt, and perhaps they hear the cries come out into the night, among the Egyptian households, he says, no, remain within, for the blood is on the doorposts. Knowing that your own firstborn depends upon the blood of the sacrifice, is this not a clear picture of the firstborn of God whose blood was poured out on our behalf? Surely Christ is the example of what was set at work here. Indeed, the, the Passover feast was not just fulfilled. It was not over. And it was not satisfied by their leaving Egypt. God would tell His people, no, you need to partake of this feast. You're going to celebrate this and you're going to call remembrance year after year in what God has done. For there's another Passover that will take place. There's more blood that must be shed for the redemption of God's people. Christ in every way mimics this Passover. 
So us who are enlightened, we've received what they looked forward to. We've received what they did not receive at the hand of God. Christ Himself was that firstborn. While all of Egypt suffered and had, and had their firstborn slain in that evening, in that night, we mustn't forget that the only reason that, that all of our firstborn, that all of the people of Israel were prevented and that their, that their youth were left with them and alive in the night when the blood was put on the doorpost is because there was another firstborn that died in their place. It's not without fault that we make these just silly or arbitrary storybook Bible events that we tell and we forget how dire of a circumstance this was. That we're no longer amazed at what it was Christ fulfilled. He Himself is the Passover, the firstborn of God. In the same way, Christ is the Lamb that was slain. We've talked about this firstborn that God Himself sent His Son. He sent one to suffer in the place of those most precious to us. Indeed, in the place of ourselves who are redeemed of God. And yet He was the Lamb who was slain. Sometimes we associate the work of Christ with, with that angel of death. Our Savior had His role in executing judgment on this wicked people, and yet we forget it was the blood. It was the blood of protection for us that saved us. It was more than, than simple, a simple event. It, it was more than He just overlooked a certain people. It wasn't some favor. No, it was the blood of Christ. The blood of this Lamb one who was slain. There, there is no forgiveness of sins apart from the blood and from the sacrifice. So Christ Himself, He's this Lamb that was slain. Again, the same substitution. But don't forget this. When the Passover feast is commanded of His people and He says to remember this, it's not without the blood. Again and again, the blood would be spilled year after year. The people of God would not just be associated with the passing over of the angel of death, but they would be acquainted with the necessity of the spilling of blood for the forgiveness of sins. In the Word we read, you will... Slay them again. Every year there would be again the firstborn of the flock that would be put to death. 
Their blood would be poured out. That blood was made holy. It was something before the face of the people of God. And so we don't make this Passover a mere or a temporary, a temporary event in history long past and long ago that would be all but forgotten. No. This observance of the Passover has everything to do with the spilling of blood. With the way in which God would remind His people of what's necessary for the forgiveness of their sins. Surely, surely as Paul would come to teach what he did in that passage in 1 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. You see, it's not just story time that we're called to tell. It's not just vain traditionalism that God draws His people to. It is a rigid acquaintance with the one who was slain on your behalf. Christ is the lamb that was slain. And in this observance of the Passover feast that, that God is implementing and He is saying to His people, even as you go into the promised land, it's not done. It's not finished. It's not fulfilled. You'll, you'll observe this every single year. And you'll observe this feast. And listen to what he calls it. He calls it the bread of affliction. You'll observe this bread of affliction. Again, Christ is that bread of affliction. What is, what is the importance of this? What's the importance? We've, the people have already been passed over. The event has already occurred. And yet they're to remember it. And it's not enough to remember it. They must remember the firstborn of God. They must remember the sacrifice, the blood that must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And what's more, they must partake of this bread of affliction. Why? I'll tell you why. Even we as Christians, when we understand the way in which we learn and are united to, the, to this people of God, even this people of Israel, is that you don't get simply the benefit of the Passover without eating of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Israel was called to eat of this bread of affliction. They weren't called to, to eat and, and just in, in 
memory or in remembrance of something. It wasn't just a mere celebration. It wasn't just simply how they would do. No, they, would, they wouldn't eat this to fill their bellies. It wasn't there for them to fulfill their own, their own worldly or the, just their own fleshly hunger or satisfaction of their hunger. It wasn't to fill their bellies. No, they had to understand something of this bread of the affliction. The bread that they were called to eat in haste, not at rest. They were called to eat of it in haste, not to just enjoy and take their time about. They had to eat this in haste. They had to eat it with the their sandals on their feet and their staff in their hand and you're going to eat this that's not, it's not filled with the same uh, fruitfulness or the, the, the same spice and, and the same sweetness of the other bread that they would normally partake of when they're making the, the cake or, 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 or the fruit or whatever it is. Whenever they're in full celebration, no, this is one without the leaven. It's only and expressly and explicitly of the unleavened bread. It's not, it's not made to meet your own appetites, what you desire in the eating of this bread. It's something different. This bread brings us not to our taste, but our reliance upon God in preparation for the redemption that He provides. We're not given any level of liberty. The people of Israel were not given a liberty to eat or season it how they wish. They're not allowed to just do something uh, to, to meet their own interests, their, their own desires, their own favorites, and, and what they desire in the bread and in the blood, what, what it would be that they would partake of. The meat is the same way. It's ate in haste. It's this explicit amount. It's, it's not the profound... Uh, celebration it's not just an excess it's it's not a spice or 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 the best taste that they've ever received it's the bread of affliction you know i think that we might ought to consider that Sometimes we think that we're at liberty to eat how we want, to drink how we want, to, to take our fill and, and, and to maybe even change and, and, and just do whatever is filling to us, what we desire and what we can celebrate in and we forget the bread of affliction. We forget what truly ought to be our focus when we come to the Lord's table.
We must govern ourselves carefully and understand that our coming to the table, this remembering this sacrifice, remembering all that God accomplished in the Passover, it has everything to do with our worship of God through Christ Jesus. We see as we read this, we think of the way Christ has fulfilled this. Christ is the firstborn of God. Christ was the lamb that was slain. Christ is that bread of affliction. He is the one who has been broken and His his blood has been poured out on our half. He's the one that died and, and there's no need of any further sacrifice. It gives a particular level of weight to the way in which we'll worship. It, it, it gives a particular weight in the way that we might observe of this supper and of this Passover and of this Lord's Supper. We see that it brings great importance when we come to learn something of the regulative principle of worship. That just simply means that it matters the way that we've worshipped. It's not careless in the way that God has called us to worship Him. It's not any way that we want to, to eat or to drink. It's not any way that we want to worship. We don't have any freedom to, to, to do or even teach how we wish. No, we notice the story of what happened to those who thought they could, they could worship their own way. They could offer fire and worship in the way God didn't give freedom to His people. Remember the children of Children, uh, forgive me, I'm getting tired, I think. I got some slipping up here. We don't want to be put to death for our carelessness and our worship. God has given us a way to worship. He has been careful that we worship the way God has explained in His Word. And in Christ it's fulfilled. And so we, we must be careful in our worship. And so he tells us in his word, in the text that we have read, in verse 5, Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee. You cannot worship this way. Bear with me. I know it's, it's warm. I don't know if the temperature... got some sleepy folks. Worship the way God has commanded. We, we're not at liberty to worship any way that we will. There's no, there's no liberty for me to give, to give any command or to give any, any worship that's not given to us explicitly and expressly in God's Word. We're not free to worship in any special or particular way. You know what this means is that 
worshiping by yourself in the private of your own home, it's not what God commands. For us to observe the Lord's Supper in private by ourselves is not what God has commanded. Worshiping apart from the gathering of God's people, uh, making this something other than holy whenever we gather and, and partake of the Lord's Supper and we remember again what God has done in sending His Son, now we have the Passover, the one who is the Passover, who's been sacrificed on our behalf. It's not an unholy thing. It's not a careless thing. God regulates how we are called to worship. And yet, we're called in verse 7, Thou shalt roast and eat it in the place the Lord God shall choose. And you return and you have these six days at the same time, it is a place for rejoicing. And we realize that this fellowship and this Passover feast that we've been commanded to, to partake in, it's one of a few. And next week we'll study that more to where God has given us a number of events, a number of occasions in which we worship God. We worship again and again and three and four times a year, multiple times a year, we come to worship. Celebration is important for us. And so whenever we partake of this, we know that we've gone beyond this. Christ has given us a, a, a means of worship to where no longer are we commanded these events just a few times a year and where we set aside these times throughout our year where we gather and we go to the Holy Land to worship, He's, He tells us instead, as often, as often as you eat of this, we're called to remember what God has done and the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. Whenever we read of this Old Testament, whenever we read of these events that occur time and again, we should be reminded of what God has done through Jesus Christ. In all of this, we see the full work of Christ. He is the Passover. And He is the sacrifice on our behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You And we're reminded, indeed, you have, you have brought us to redemption again and again as we have seen you redeem your people and deliver in delivering them from Egypt and their slavery. And yet you've commanded the repetition in the Passover feast each year. And Lord, you repeat this, and again, you observe this, even in 
the work of Christ himself as he awaits his own sacrifice. And yet he offers himself to you in the last in the last supper. God, we pray that you would draw us to this new life, this repeated worship each time that we take of this Lord's Supper. Lord, that we can be reminded of all that you've done through Christ Himself. Lord, where we might worship as often as we eat and as we drink of this bread and this wine. Lord, that reminds us of the blood and the flesh that you have given through your Son. Father, I pray that as we prepare our hearts to receive this bread and wine, this flesh and blood, Lord, that you would encourage us that it would be worshipful of all that you've accomplished in Jesus Christ. Lord, that we wouldn't rely on our own works or our own faithfulness, but that we would know, apart from Christ, would accomplish, we would accomplish no righteousness. Lord, prepare us. Prepare us now to receive this bread and this wine. Lord, that we would be encouraged. And Lord, that you would bring to maturity in this word and this observance what you have commanded us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. We hope that you join us next week for more in this study in Deuteronomy on God's people.